name's Rodney, and I am a current fourth grade teacher in North Carolina. I born and raised in rural North Carolina in the mountain town of uh, near Sparta. And I grew up in a place where it was not okay to be different and uh, realized at an early age in second grade that I was different. It was the spring of 1999. Rodney had just graduated a year earlier from a high school where prom night had been decorated with extra policing and death threats for someone who wasn't like the majority of the good old boys. He had moved out of his own right after graduation and was trying to keep a roof over his head and food in his belly. Rodney was working a few part-time jobs and going to a community college to just knock out some of the more affordable baseline credits before transferring to a four-year university. In March of 1999, he received a letter in the mail stating he was the runner-up for a $1,200 scholarship and he had to be enrolled in a four-year university to receive it. Rodney thought this was his only way out, so he immediately began the work of applying to 12 of the many state universities and colleges and to private colleges. Rodney waited and waited as the few short months trudged by. Letter after letter came back telling him that he didn't have enough credits to transfer in successfully. There was only one school out of all of those he had applied to that would accept him on a transfer, thus granting him that glorious $1,200 and the hope of beginning to make a life for himself somewhere beyond the horizon where people like him could live free. At that time, he had to make a decision on his college major that would impact the rest of his life, and so he quickly chose education. Then bouts of depression, working full-time, and trying to be comfortable in his own skin while dodging the fiery arrows of conservative evangelical Christians became too much for him. In early 2000, Rodney almost became a statistic. Suicidal ideation plagued his thoughts. Once again, he took a semester off and lost the remaining $400 of that cherished prize. However, by that time, Rodney had found a counselor who would help him. He had a full-time job that was helping to fund the bills, and then the bottomless pot of the motherload college funds all pro-offered themselves to him. That doesn't seem like it's been 24 years ago, but it has. I was asked about a time where I made a quick decision without thought or a decision was made for me, and it changed the course of my life. And you can't get there without some of the backstory. And the backstory is just growing up in that very conservative uh, Baptist place. And uh, by the time I was 18, the only lifeline I could see was getting out. Um, so I, I moved out right after graduation and attended a community college for a semester got overwhelmed with life and all things young adult-ish, and dropped out my second semester. Um, that February, I got a letter in the mail, and it literally stated that someone had received like a $1,200 scholarship, and that was a lot of money. I'd never seen that much money. But they had kind of done my same path and dropped out their spring semester, and so I had something like 
45 days to prove that I was enrolled in a four-year school and uh, I would receive $900. And for me, that was like a ticket out of there. So I immediately sent out 16 college applications with transcripts and letters and letters for recommendation and trying to sell my soul (laughs) to any (laughs) higher up that would hear me, right? And uh, I got rejection letters from all of them except for one. Uh, Western Carolina was the only university that said they would accept me with my transfer hours from the first semester. And so my whole goal was just to get out, and and that was my first step into real adulthood, I think. Um, I was on a path of self-discovery. There was just like, if that was my life, that was like (laughs) the interstate heading down uh, Atlanta Highway, right? There's 16 lanes. There's all this stuff going on, and I'm just trying to find my way, Um, trying to figure out my sexuality, my identity is who I am, my faith, what I believe. And um, it was that letter in the mail and that one acceptance that really set the path for me. Um, When I got there, it just seemed natural to step into education, public education. My goal was middle grades. Um, So to get a degree in education. Say that again? You wanted to get your degree in education. That is correct. That is correct. I was looking at a bachelor's of science in elementary ed or middle grades ed. And, uh, I was also working full time. Um, my dad and I are really close now, but we weren't then. And so financially I was on my own. It was just me and Sally Mae, right? (laughs) (laughs) We were blazing our own trail. And so, uh, you know, I, I was working full time at the local casino there and middle school just required two, uh, areas of concentration, which of course meant more time. And I was ready to just go. And again, I made one of those broad searches. I don't even think Google was a thing then. I just went out and did an internet search for the most liberal and accepting um, school district in North Carolina. And there was one that I found that had an anti-bullying, anti-discriminatory clause against LGBT. And that's where I started. And that has been 19 years in the making. Um, It seems like there's, I don't know that I believe in a higher power pulling strings, but I do feel like there have definitely been some paths put before me that I couldn't have found on my own. Whether that's dumb luck or divine design, I'm not sure. Or universe. Or universe. That's right. I love it. So I, uh, about five years into my career, uh, I was a burned out teacher, uh, huge, huge discrepancy in existence belief between me and my current administration at that time. And I just wanted out and I got involved with a community, went on this retreat in the summer and met about 200 teachers that were like-minded, uh, just wanting to change the world and help students they were serving and get a better future. And I came back, and Emory, I literally went from the Friday before I left teaching on a 1985 overhead projector with transparencies to coming back two weeks later and writing this grant, getting iPads, and we were projecting wirelessly through projectors and annotating on screens live. It was just – it was my – niche you know it just it felt good the kids were engaged and my principal said all right you're moving to fifth grade (laughs) 
do I say I was teaching first? There's a big <laughs> difference between six year olds and 10 and 11 year olds. Oh, yes. So, uh, you know, I had a moment. I cried about it. I'm not going to lie. But it ended up being some of just the best moments in my life that year. Um, I was working until two, three in the morning. And uh, I would call the local police department because we weren't in the best neighborhoods to uh, escort me to my car at night. I would come home, sleep for a few hours, and go back. At that time, we didn't have a curriculum provided, so I was kind of correlating and writing my own. And those students that year, in August, my highest student, highest performing student academically, was an AG student, and he scored a 32.5% on um, – a, a pretest, and for those people who don't do numbers, that's not very good. All right, yeah, that's okay. out of hundred. It's not very good. And by the end of the year, there was only one student out of the entire class that didn't make their growth projected by state. And uh, I think there were three that weren't ranked proficient. And that became my life's mission. At that point, serving students who are um, underprivileged, maybe. Um, definitely at a disadvantage when it comes to uh, their peers when they get to middle school. Changing their trajectory and putting them on a path of success before they hit middle school was life-changing for them. And that's been several years, and I still get pictures of baby siblings that are born and emails just checking in, letting me know, requests for letters of recommendation. Like, it really seems like a blink of an eye that that one split decision to accept this now kind of seemingly small amount of money, right? $900 right, right, right. doesn't change the world, but it changed my life. And it was just that acceptance of stepping into what is there and having faith in whatever I believed in at the time that there would be something to catch my foot. And I don't know that I've stopped and looked back since. That's awesome. And to me, from the outside looking in on your story, it seems like that your support system during that retreat is really maybe what helped spark you a little bit more to stand in your power to be that person that wanted to make a change. Am I correct in that? Absolutely. There was, I have a tendency to fangirl out over people who are leaders and who just have that aura about them, right? They have that magnetism that pulls people in and, um, just to put it point blank, I felt so much love and acceptance there. Uh, we had become friends on Facebook with you know several of us before the event happened, and it was about the time that my husband and I were going to get married. And so I was out, and it was the first time I had been that out to that big of a population of educators in my life. And when I got there, no one had an issue. People were congratulating me, saying they felt like they were there with me in spirit, and it was just, it was weird. And so the Thursday night, they have this costume party, and this is my first time attending this event, so I didn't go with a costume at all. And, like, these stereotypically really, what you might consider, hot girls were like, hey, we want you to be our Ken doll. And I'm going to be long legs Barbie and I'm going to be beach Barbie. And I'm like, what? And, and the thing in this group is you don't say no, right? You just don't say no because everyone there has your best interest at heart. And so I stepped into it and we walk into this room and there's 200 people there. And all the guys, like the straight guys, the butch guys, 
they're all looking at me going, how in the world did he do that, right? <laughs> and it was just this huge, I guess, ego boost. Um, and I ended up, like, we, we got into this boy band and did, like, a remake of Backstreet Boys. Oh, and gosh, that's cute. It was just all the things that you, I think cool high school kids do that I never had a chance to. You know, my high school, especially the last two years of it, was riddled with death threats and extra security because, again, I was different than those that I was growing up around. And so it absolutely was a catalyst. And when I came back, there was an app, a video messaging app that a lot of us would use. And for years, now that's been going on seven years, we still video message each other from that original group. Like it's just lifetime connections. Um, But like I said, being drawn to leadership and those who have that magnetism about them, there was a fella. Um, can I name him? That's completely up to you. Yes. Okay. So, yes, I will name Steve Dimbo because those who know Steve love Steve. Um, he was a keynote speaker, presenter, employee of the company at the time. And um, he just did this, this Prezi presentation, and I, I came away wanting to tell the world what was going on. Like, if you're a teacher and you're burnt out, there is hope out there. You do not have to give up. You can still change the world light your fire and make a difference. And so I worked so hard on this presentation and I sent it to him and he messaged me back and he was like, Rodney, uh, I'm sure the presentation is great, but I'm not going to open it. And I'm like, "Um, Steve, I'm going to Albuquerque, New Mexico, which geographically for those who don't know that the U S is a long way away to present to people. I don't know about what happened here. So, can you at least like give me some pointers? And he said, no, because it's not that that's worth telling your story is what's worth telling. And I want you to tell your story. And obviously I don't know that anyone had ever said something to me like that at that point in time. Um, and so I started telling my story. And at this point I've been from coast to coast and North to South and even one province in Canada telling my story and along the way helping teachers realize that there are strategies that can help their kids retain information and feel successful. You know, it's not all about the grade. And I know this isn't necessarily an educational podcast, but it is a connectivity podcast, right? And just, it doesn't matter what field you're in or where you are, finding that group who wants nothing but to celebrate you and to support you and help you be a better you that is everything in life. And for you to be that support system to complete strangers by telling your story and your successes, you're being that person for them. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, that's, that's harder to hear than it is for me to tell about, you know, others helping me. Um, and I think that's probably rooted in a whole lot of other stuff. But uh, for the last seven years, seven, eight years, it's been, I'm learning to say thank you. And leave it at that. <laughs> That's a good approach. But I also say that when we as a person have a hard time accepting or acknowledging our talents and our gifts to other people that we're giving to, I, I believe, because I'm in the same way, that it's rooted in humbleness. That we've let go of the ego and all we want to do is be a servant to others from our heart. How do you feel about that? 
I agree 100%. And I think that speaks to me being an educator and working with kids because my whole career has been service to others. How can I help you? What can I do? What can I create to help you be successful? And Emory, it's not just about the kids, but it's the families too. Um, There was (laughs) this one kid. God, I I loved her. Like she had a spark. I had her in kindergarten. I had her in first grade. And then I had her again in fifth when I got moved up, which is another thing that made that fifth grade year so special. I already had that relationship with the kids and the families. And (laughs) we had this thing to create your own holiday. And most kids, as you would figure, were like, it's an all about me day, or it's my favorite book day. Here in the South, we had a few favorite verse or Bible days. And this one was like, no, I want to do Thanksgiving 2.0. So that concludes part one. And what a great place to take a pause. Thanksgiving 2.0? Just wait till next week when you hear all the details. Until then, I'm sending you the best of intentions. Namaste. Namaste.